follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Everybody is entitled to their 15 minutes of fame. Now you'll get to hear some of those people share their wisdom and insight on the fame game on Voice America Kids. Now, here's your host, Maddie Rose. Welcome, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm your host, Maddie Rose, and today we have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. LaPointe. That's what I like to call her. She's actually mm-hmm. one of my teachers. She's my government teacher, and uh, she just is just such an interesting person, and she's been so supportive of everything that I've done, including, as you know, in my previous shows, I've talked about, you know, becoming Miss North Phoenix and my exciting journey of going to Miss Arizona and hopefully Miss America one day, so you know the whole spiel, but... Thank you, Dr. LaPointe, for coming today. I appreciate it. You are so welcome, kiddo. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So, Dr. LaPointe, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I, I, am, I feel old now because I teach <laughs> high school, but I'm a relatively young person, but I have had a really exciting and full life, and I feel like I've lived a couple people's lifetimes already, and um, I grew up. Uh, in a theater family, I, my parents are, were musicians and met as traveling musicians, and um, so I grew up in a house full of, of music and performing and being really engaged with my community and went to performing arts school and, and thought I would sort of follow that into a career and decided that the skills I learned from that were really suited to working in politics, and so got really involved in my community and studied politics in college, and and then I went on to law school um, Decided that being an attorney really prepared me for a life in politics because every famous person involved in politics that was influential on me was an attorney. And so I went to law school, and I never really planned on being a normal day-to-day lawyer. I sort of planned on going to law school to help me um, get into politics more fully. And then, But I did get sort of romanced into big corporate law practice, and then... Uh, sort of gave that up to go back into working with kids because um, I think all the thing, the thing that is in common from all the things I've done is that it's preparing people to be agents for change in their own life. So whether it's through work in the church or work in politics or work as a teacher or work as an attorney, all of those things are about helping other people tap into their power and, then, and helping them excel. Absolutely. And so you mentioned that you were a lawyer, and how was that experience overall for you? Well, you know, being an attorney is a really exciting career because the law is looked at as this very prestigious set of thinkers. And when you get to be a part of that, um, I'd never really experienced being sort of inside something that had such respect from other people. Um, And when you work in the legal field, everybody you work with is smart, I mean, and, and hardworking. And so that's really exciting. And I really enjoyed working with clients um, and helping them understand how the legal system worked. But I realized it was really my interaction with my clients more than my day-to-day work that I was so passionate about. But being an attorney is stressful, and you work a lot. And I just decided that my quality of life was suffering from from practicing. And so that's why I decided to be a teacher, which is not a lot less stress, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Sometimes we make you want to pull your hair out, and Mm -hmm. uh, that happens some days. So, But hey, we're we're good most days. (laughs) You guys are great. Yeah, so we have a fun time about it for sure. 
But, you know, being an attorney and everything and, you know, going to law school, that's definitely quite the hurdle to overcome first to be able to become a lawyer. Uh, What was your experience in law school? I know that you've told us some stories, too, about, you know, how it is a challenge and you have to get used to, you know, not getting that A all the time. (laughs) Well, sure. I like to talk about um, law school. It's like being in class with all the class presidents. I mean, that's really what it is. It's people who are really dedicated to their academic success, but also who have sort of real strong leadership qualities. And that leads, the classroom environment in law school is unlike anything I've ever experienced because everybody really wants to be there. Um, And everybody is really smart and deserves to be there. Um, And it's also when I started working when I was 14 years old, I worked when I was in high school, I worked all the way through college. I worked through my master's degree in law school most law schools have a requirement that you don't work for at least the first year wow, of law school. Wow, I didn't school. know that. And so it was really the first time as a grown-up I got to just sit around and think all day, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> and I felt really lucky that I got to do that because, you know, very few people get that kind of opportunity. And it it allowed me all this time to think about the things I valued and how I think the world works and and what my role is in changing that. And I think that protecting an experience like that in that way is really special for for young people especially. That's great. Yeah, I've heard so many stories of people going to law school and they say it is truly like a different experience and it's nothing like they've experienced before. I just think it's funny that you mentioned that it's kind of like putting all the class presidents together because I'd probably like die in that situation. It's kind of like, you know, when you talk to these uh, representatives from different colleges around the valley, like honors colleges, and they're like, yeah, everybody in the class is like valedictorian. And I'm like, that's really scary to think about if you put them all together in a room and you're kind of competing together now. Well, my dad, my father is a a teacher now also. He's a second career teacher, but he started his professional life as a physician. And when I was first in law school and I I felt like, oh, my goodness, I'm not the smartest person in the room anymore. I don't like this. Um, My dad said to me, you have to – my dad calls me Pumpkin. He said, Pumpkin, you have to consider that, (laughs) you know, the cream rises to the top in high school. And those people go to college. And then the cream rises to the top from there, and those people go to law school. And he's like, you're getting into such rarefied air that you can't be disappointed when you're not the number one kid all the time. Um, And I think it was humbling for me and taught me a lot of really powerful lessons about how you don't necessarily have to win or be the best or ranked number one for an experience to be really valuable. It is a great lesson to learn, and mm-hmm. sometimes you're right. You can't always be the number one on the top, and you figure that out. <laughs> well, and my dad used to say, nobody goes into their doctor's office and says to their doctor, uh, what what number were you in your graduating class? You know, nobody actually True. cares. You became a doctor, <laughs> for goodness sakes. You know, my dad used to say to me, you know what they call the person who is – ranked last in their graduating class in medical school. And I said, what? He goes, doctor, the same thing they call the kid who's ranked number one in his medical school class. So that's a good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, that definitely brings light to the situation. Mm -hmm. And so how about your day to day duties as a lawyer? What did you have to do? And kind of what did a typical day in the life look like? Well, for me, I was a civil lawyer. So most legal jobs are broken down into two big categories. 
people who are in the criminal sector and people who are in the civil sector. Um, and then within that, in the civil legal world, you really break into what's called transactional lawyers, which are people who put together deals and contracts and things like that, patents, those sorts of things, and then people who do litigation or actual court cases. Um, and that's what I did. And so when you're new at that, especially if you work in a really prestigious firm, and I was so lucky I got to work for three of the, the top ten law firms in the world during my short practice. And But when you're the new kid, you do a lot of uh, the discovery in a case, so a lot of the paperwork. So if you're involved in a case where you're disputing a product safety, you might have to read through thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of reports from consumers. And, and so it was a lot of reading and coding and organizing and, um, and then a lot of research, you know, because you have to sort of learn the case law that you're going to rely on to argue your case. Um, and then at the end of my practice, you know, what I was particularly successful with was negotiating settlements. Because lawsuits are so expensive now, it's almost always in the best interest of both parties not to have a trial and to try to reach some sort of agreement. Um, and I was very, very successful at those, um, particularly in large groups. So that's what I did kind of at the end of my practice. But a normal day, you know, was 15, 16 hours long, you know. Long, long day. Long day. <laughs> long yeah. day. No, that's so interesting to hear, though, because I don't feel like many people know what lawyers do necessarily or, you know, how they begin. And like you said, it's a lot of kind of like legwork. I do have to read all of this. I have to code all of this before you get anywhere and kind of have to get your foot in the door somehow. Yeah, it's definitely not, you know, law and order. It's not glamorous. Every day. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not Allie McBeal. And it's not, you know, um, it's, it's a lot of reading and writing. I mean, ultimately, a lawyer's most important skill probably is writing and that you know that's a skill that takes a lot of time to develop as a lawyer absolutely and what would you say would be the most memorable part for you personally being a lawyer um you know i have a couple of moments that sort of stick out in my head you know the day i passed the bar exam and became an attorney it was a really it was just a really special moment and I'm, you and I have discussed this a lot. I, I did very good in school, but I'm mm -hmm. not a good test taker. And so to have invested, you know, nine years of my life between all of my college degrees and a quarter million dollars in debt. It's crazy. <laughs> and then to think, what if I don't pass this one test? That would stink. So um, that, that day was memorable for sure. And certainly the day I got sworn in was really special. And then the first time I signed a court document with my name and my bar number on it was was pretty exciting. And my very first argument in court, I was late. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, my secretary had put the, the appearance time in my calendar wrong, um, and so that was very scary. And um, But I handled it well, and, um, you know, so some of those moments, little tiny things, you know, I had I had a couple cases I'm really proud of, but I think overall, sort of for me, it was the the achievement of getting in the room that felt so good. Oh, for sure, that's totally understandable too. Because, like you said, we were talking about the bar exam and how you had to invest like five thousand dollars in these different classes to be able to, you know, make sure you're 
well up to date with what's happening. And like you said, it's just a lot of repetitiveness, putting yourself in front of those questions. And I don't remember how long you said. Was it like six weeks long that you just did these classes for? Yeah. So when for in California, you take a course that um, most people take a course that's called Barbary. It's six weeks long. Um, and then I took an additional class that prepares you for the multi-state exam. And that was, I think, a week before Barbary and a week after. So it was about eight weeks total. Um, and then I had about 10 days after that before I took the exam itself. And I actually came out here to Arizona during those 10 days and stayed in my parents' house and uh, let my mom cook me dinner and let my dad tuck me in and stuff. Cause, Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the necessary things before yes. you take the bar exam. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, I mean, those are just some of those things that just kind of get you relaxed and get you ready. Like you said, it's kind of like you're vying on this one test, so you do have to take it seriously. It's not like, you know, like, yes, I can retake it like five different times. No, it's definitely too expensive to be doing that. Yeah, pretty sure that's not ideal at all. Yeah. (laughs) And probably don't want to sit through another course of those classes anyways. Yeah. Definitely. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and take a quick little break. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. a responsible person and you're trying to do everything you can to save the planet but are you doing enough we've got the right person to help you keep on thinking green mario jr is the host of alive and green the show is all about green tips staying environmentally friendly and having fun while doing something great for our mother earth you'll want to check out the show tuesdays at 2 p.m pacific time 5 p.m eastern time on the voice america kids channel if we all do our part now it'll only mean a brighter and better future for us later Bookworm is a show for the reader and those that should probably be reading a little more. We'll tackle the classics, the bestsellers, and the brand new works that you won't be able to put down. Your host will be combing the pages of them all and letting you know what needs to be in your personal library and what might be better reading for the bathroom. Tune into Bookworm, airing Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids channel. We promise that listening will be just like delving into a good book. Tune in to Dinosaur Detectives with Little Miss Dinosaur, Anna Dubois. We'll not only learn about dinosaurs, but also about fossils, ancient civilizations, and ask questions from paleontologists. You'll learn about science in general with an emphasis on paleontology and dinosaurs in general. Anna hopes that this show will start or increase your awareness and interest in the field of science. Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm Maddie Rose, and we're back with Dr. LaPointe. So we are talking a lot about, you know, how she became a lawyer and everything that she's done so far with that. And then also kind of, you know, the situation going back into teaching and just finding a love for that altogether. And we'll get more into that for sure later in our interview. But, Dr. LaPointe, my next question for you is, you got to meet Bill Clinton, yes? Yes. Political career, just kind of like a highlight of your life, I guess. Yeah, well, President (laughs) Clinton, for sure, you know, when I was growing up, was definitely a hero in my house. And, um, you know, he's the first president with whom I, you know, that I had a real understanding of what the president really does <laughs> when he was president. 
Um, and so, yeah, when I when I got to meet him, I met him right at the end of my law school experience, and um, it was really one of those sort of top five days of your life moments for sure. That's awesome. And you told us the story in class, and hopefully you can probably reiterate that story of how you just got called all of a sudden in law school, just by name. Yeah, so I when I was in law school, I was a campus liaison for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign when she ran against President Obama. And I was the president of our law school student government. So the chancellor's office got a call from Hillary Clinton's campaign um, asking if President Clinton, who was doing a speaking tour, could come and make an appearance at our campus. And they needed the campus liaisons to help turn out this this crew of people. Um, and, and they want to know how many people could we get and could we do it within three days. And, and so my, the chancellor called and had me called out of, uh, out of class in law school. And we uh, got together with the undergraduate Democratic Club and the people from the campaign office and the chancellor's office, the university. And, and we hosted this dynamite event that we sort of put together on the fly. And I, it was a really fun experience for me to see how fast these campaigns put together these gigantic events. So, yeah, they called me in the class and they said, we have a call for you from the president. And I'm like, the president of what? They're like, the United States. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that happens every day. Right, and they're like, are you available? Or is this a good time? I'm like, for the president, anytime's a good time. I'll make, I can make it a good time. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't go to class for a few days. And, you know, probably not a bad choice. And so, yeah, it was really, really exciting. And one of the things I got to do um, before his arrival is I got to do some interviews with local press, kind of as a representative of the campaign. And I did a lot of talking about... The Clintons in general, and, and one of the reasons I had been supporting Hillary is because I, I feel like they are a really good example of showing family values in the face of people who always attack their family values. And I, something I've all, long admired about uh, Secretary Clinton is that she really fought for her marriage when her marriage was under total public scrutiny, and, and they were struggling in their marriage, and the entire world was a part of that discussion. I can't even imagine. And I think she showed a lot of grace and dignity, um, valuing her family and going to her church and asking them to help her and her husband um, keep their family together. And I think that that's a really, it was a really powerful lesson for people to see, even if they didn't realize that they were seeing it. And um and after having done these interviews, when I when I ultimately met with the president um, after his speech, he said to me, hey, I, I saw some of the footage of you talking about this, and and I was really touched by what you said about my family. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Bill Clinton is touched by what I've said about his family. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, um, wow. But he was just – he was the nicest man, and I see why he was so successful because he knew everything about me. Um, and then a couple weeks later, I did some advance work on a, another event with him, and I was right in the front as he was speaking, and he pointed down at me from the podium and called me by name. And I thought, oh my God, this guy meets 25,000 people a day right now. I can't believe he remembers my name. That's wild. Um, but certainly that was part of his magic. 
So That's so wonderful, though. And I know you said that also while you were in the mix of putting on events and working with Bill Clinton and everything, too, that he wanted to go outside and meet the people. And that was kind of like one of the things that he always liked to do was to be with the people, to meet them, talk with them, shake their hand. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, it, well, first of all, when he arrived at this event, there's always, you know, when the president rolls in, all the local politicians roll in to try to get their picture taken, you know. So all the mayors from around us and members of Congress from around us and so forth were there. And the president actually tried to shield himself from all those people <laughs> by saying he'd rather hang out with all these student leaders. And so he gathered up all us student leaders and got us in a little huddle in the back and sort of stayed totally out of all of that part because he just wanted to be with us and talk to us about law school and our experience. And and then at the end of the event, he, his Secret Service had warned me before he arrived, you know, the president always wants to go outside to see the people who didn't get inside. And please don't let him go outside. It's very difficult to manage security outside. And, and so he did say to me, hey, Sarah, how many people are outside? How many people didn't get in? And can we go out and see them? And and uh, I'm looking at the Secret Service guy, and he's looking at me, like, don't let him go out there. And, and so the president said, Sarah, did, did my Secret Service ask you to keep me from going outside? And I said, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, sir, they did. Um, and he's like, okay, well, we'll stay inside. But uh, <laughs> he definitely he definitely is that guy. He's a, you know, I remember when he was president, he was quite famous for going on walks in Washington, D.C. and just, like, popping into McDonald's. Oh, wow, okay. And buying McDonald's for people and hanging oh, cool. out. Yeah, he just kind of is like that, so. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that before, but that's pretty cool. Definitely mm-hmm. you can say that that's special about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as far as, like, politics go, was there anything that you wanted to achieve in particular, like, going into politics? Well, when I, when I was in practice, I had planned, you know, I— I think it would be great to run for office myself. Um, it's it's something I've long desired to do. I served as a an appointee on my city council when I was in high school, um, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being involved in local government, and I've, I did a lot of student government like you and, and enjoyed that very much. Um, but running for office is difficult because... It costs a lot of money, and if you don't you don't come from a lot of money, it's very hard to do. Um, so my initial plan when I was living in California had been to I actually bought a house strategically in a zip code where I would want to run, um, and and I think that that's something I might pursue later in my life. You know, as my son gets older, I think for a lot of people, the the first step in really is to serve on your school board or on a town council. Um, And those are things that I would definitely be interested in doing for sure. That's great. It's nice to know the process of things because people don't necessarily know how to get involved with it. And like you say, it's kind of like starting at those little basic things, like whether it's student government or working with your own city council, you know, those things. That way you can kind of get your foot in the door, get a feel for it. And it's nice to intern also if you can for certain things and actually put yourself in that position before saying, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You intern and you're like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Well, and what's great about interning in politics is you can sort of politics is like many things is really about who you know you know it is a it's a profession that is relies heavily on building relationships and coalitions and and that's how you succeed and so one of the ways i think we can help young women in particular succeed in that way is to create these pipelines where 
women start at the local level and then reach back and support someone behind them so that we're creating a pipeline of qualified candidates. You know, when you get into the race for the presidency, part of the reason that there are so many men running and not that many women is that we still haven't reached a point where women have had 30 or 40 years worth of experience to bring to the table like many male candidates do because 30 or 40 years ago, we weren't promoting women into those roles to begin with. So it will take, I think, generationally women working to create that pipeline, which is why interning and using networks like Emily's List or I, when I was in college, I worked for the Feminist Majority Foundation, um, for NARAL Pro-Choice America, for Planned Parenthood. Um, those organizations are really trying to take young women, like young like you, and then helping them to run for things at younger ages so that we're not 100 years old before we have the same amount of experience as the men in the field. It does make sense. And, you know, with the upbringing of this election in particular, we are seeing a few women candidates, which is always really great. And they're making women look really good, as we've talked about in class. It's just a really fun thing to see. And they have great political backgrounds or, you know, some type of business background. Like we were talking about Carly Fiorina. She was the CEO of Hewlett Packard. And that's just not something that's typical of, you know, a woman running in politics or just a woman in general, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think it's really exciting that we have... um two extremely qualified women on both sides um, in this race. And that's exciting for me because, you know, one thing that, and I think what's particularly exciting for me is the person with probably the most applicable business experience in the race is a woman. And the person who is hands down the most politically qualified in terms of life experience and politics is also a woman. And that's very exciting to me. Um, even And even when I don't agree with a particular candidate, I mean, having worked for the Clintons, I, of course, am supportive of Hillary's candidacy, but I'm also so impressed by Carly Fiorina, and I'm so happy that in what has turned into a, a real circus of a Republican race, she just has shown a lot of class and dignity and composure, and I think it reflects well on women. For, for all of us, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Of course. It's just kind of like the way that she handles herself. She puts a good stamp on it, and uh, that's kind of where she stands, mm-hmm. which is really nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. So I guess with that being said, we are going to get more into some election talk because I just think that's super interesting, and then we can go into that. But before we do that, we do have to take a quick little break. So keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. What do you want to do? Are you interested in the performing arts? If so, make sure you tune in to the Angel and Harmony Show. Angel and Harmony have experience singing, acting, and performing in general and want to help you live out your dreams of the future. Whether you are interested in acting, modeling, dancing, or singing, this is the show for you. We'll even give you the scoop on being behind the scenes if you're a little shy. The Angel and Harmony Show is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids channel. What's cooking? Join Kid Chef Eliana for Cool Kids Cook. 
Eliana is one of the youngest published cookbook authors and will show you that there are all kinds of goodness in food beyond the chicken nuggets and fries. On our show, we'll discover cuisine from around the world, learn some great cooking techniques, speak with some of the world's top chefs, and share recipes. Kid Chef Eliana is here for you on Cool Kids Cook every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. Bon appetit! Looking for an on-air community where teens talk and the world listens? Tune in to Express Yourself, an entertaining adolescent fusion radio program where passion and possibility populate the airwaves. Our vivacious teen hosts and star-studded field reporters from around the country offer stimulating segments and invigorating viewpoints connecting with the world campus of young people. We'll talk with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with experience. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Kids. Express yourself. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. So we're back with Dr. LaPointe, of course. So we were just talking a little bit in the last part of the last segment about, you know, Carly Fiorina and Hillary Clinton and how, you know, women getting into the presidency and just the race in general is really a great thing to see. And um, we are also talking about Dr. LaPointe and how she may possibly want to run for some type of office later in the future, which I think that's a really exciting thing to kind of put on the table as well. But before we actually get to talking about the election and kind of, I guess, some of our predictions and projections. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about you being a teacher. I think it's just so cool that you found really yourself that you wanted to put yourself in this position of being a high school teacher and teach us high school kids. (laughs) Well, you know, when I started college, um, I decided that I wanted to get a PhD so I could be a professor of international politics, which is what I was studying. And then when I was in, so then I, after my undergrad degree, I decided to get a master's degree in the same field. And I was still at my same school and I started teaching undergraduates. And I had such a great time doing it. And I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a professor. It's going to be awesome. And then I was actually volunteering heavily in the presidential race at that time. And was disappointed in my party's performance, and I thought, okay, maybe law school would be a better doctoral degree for me because it would give me some more options in politics also. And so I think I always intended to go back to the classroom in some way. And I've taught a few different things, but teaching government is absolutely, for me, where I feel like I bring this great life experience and real-world sort of knowledge from the work I did in politics, the work I did in practice as an attorney. Um, So I think I teach government differently than most government teachers would. Um, But that's exciting. And I think it makes for some fun opportunities for my students to think about different ways to use different types of training, you know, not always in the obvious way. I don't think people would think, oh, I'm gonna go to law school and then be a high school government teacher, you know. Um, (laughs) But I'm, I think having the richness of that ex, that life experience before I went into the classroom is really a great benefit for my students. And my dad's also a second career teacher. He teaches biology. He used to be a physician. Um, I think that increasingly we need to look at, especially with teacher shortage here in Arizona, 
um, looking at where we can take some of these second career folks and bring their real world experience into our classrooms. I think that it it benefits our kids, um, particularly because a lot of teachers come right out of college, um, very young, having worked in no industry other than education, which there's nothing wrong with that, except when students are getting ready to decide how they're going to move on into careers that aren't teaching, I think it is nice to have people on your staff with real-world experience. And at our school, we're very lucky because we our teachers come from a, a really wide variety of backgrounds. Yes, I agree. And I like that real-world application because, like you said, it kind of puts it into the perspective for us students that, you know, this is why we use this and this is how it works. And I actually used it myself in this profession, so we're not just, like, learning it because of, you know, whatever. It's just how it is. There's actually, like, a purpose to it. And, you know, a cause and effect. Well, and I think what's exciting when you're a social studies teacher, no matter sort of what level you teach at, social studies is profoundly important no matter what our students decide to do after high school. Um, Because it helps us understand the world that the people we live around come from and how the choices we make in our communities really have lasting impacts. And so I think it's an easy subject to make relevant for your students. I don't know how high school math teachers do that for their kids. (laughs) (laughs) We're like not math people. Mm -hmm. I used to be, but I tell everybody, like, I just got burned out, and I guess I'm still capable of it. I am. But, you know, it's not... I, my heart's in writing. There we go. I'm going to be a journalism go. student. Okay. That's all we need. <laughs> but yes, I definitely think that, you know, making them understand social studies and in government is truly important because when they go into the real world, it's kind of just everywhere. And that's what I kind of see in our class, too, is because you're able to bring that like new perspective to the table. There are more kids in our class saying that like, oh, wow, I've never been interested in politics before, but I am now. And I think that's a great testimony to that because it is true. I mean, I have understood politics before, but not at the level that I comprehend it now. That's awesome. And I think our class has had such fun because everybody's been researching different candidates and I learned a ton from it. Um, And I also I I we we did a reflection assignment yesterday and the students did sort of a bracket on who's going to win, sort of how the primary is going to come out. And uh, the results were really interesting to me. And to hear what you guys had to say was was really fun. Mm -hmm. And I like having that portion, too, of, like, in-depth research for all of the candidates. Because even though you singularly are only researching one candidate, your classmates are going to pick all over the board. And just from them presenting it and seeing what kind of different information each of them get. Because although there are multiple Marco Rubios or multiple Hillary Clintons and, you know, multiple Jeb Bushes, they all find different pieces of information information just these little pockets that we're like wow we didn't even know that or you know we would have never expected and then we get to see some great high school photos of all of them (laughs) so yeah yeah no really fun so it is a lot of fun for that for sure um how about you in economics because i know you're going to be basically teaching us some economics as well so how does that play into the mix and how do you feel about that so it's pretty funny because when i was in college just when we were talking about math there, I was very scared to take college math. Um, Math was never my strongest subject. And so I sort of tried to get out of college math by by taking classes that I thought would help me in my stuff and and arguing for it, which I guess is why I became a lawyer. But (laughs) so I took some economics as 
as a math credit. Um, and I, what I ultimately learned from it is that economics is really a class about our policies, the choices and priorities that we make, and our theories about how money functions in the world. And so I think students will be surprised it's not going to be a super math-heavy class. It's going to be a class where we talk about how does our tax policy change how we live? How does monetary and fiscal policy, you know, interest rates and lending practices and trade agreements and um, public assistance and how do all of those things, those things really reflect our choices and our values. Um, so it's not just about numbers, it's about how we feel about the role of the government and the role of um, our role just as as humans in raising the standard of living for all people and how do we actually do that. And I think that will be exciting for students. Absolutely. I think so, too, because I even heard a few people in class, too, they're like, oh, it's not going to be super math heavy. Like, everybody just expects it to be such a math class. Because, and I've even had the, the firsthand impression that it was going to be sort of a math class or there would be some math in it. And there is math, but it's not, you know, as heavily like you said. It's more so around, like, fiscal policies and, you know, how does this work in conjunction to the government and why does this all happen and why should we care, <laughs> you know? So yeah. different things that people wouldn't expect from it. So I think they'll have a good time with it for sure. Yeah, and I think what's fun, too, is when I finally, when I went to college and I took statistics and economics and research methods, those are classes where I previously didn't think of myself as somebody who could use math to my advantage. And it's exciting for me to take kids who are scared of math and teach them that they can conceptually get there and that even if they only understand a really simple mathematical concept, if they know how to make the real-world connection and apply it, the math can help them. So, For sure. And just a generic question, you know, being a high school teacher, and you do teach middle school as well, because mm -hmm. <laughs> you have them throughout the day, we love them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through being a teacher, uh, maybe at our school, or maybe just a high school teacher in general? Well, I think that teaching, uh, I was just talking with one of my colleagues at work about this the other day, it's, it's a profession where you feel on the same day, completely powerless because of how broken our education system is and how deep the challenges are that all of our students bring every day. And yet on the same day, you can feel extremely powerful because the impact you're making on individual lives is sometimes greater than you realize. Um, so it can be frustrating because on the same day you can feel all powerful and powerless in the same, you know, in the same breath. But I think that the exciting part about teaching for me is when I see students make a connection and knowing that I helped them get there, that I was the conduit for them to make that connection so that they could experience that moment of, of something new, that's exciting. And it, it, it's hard to compare that to something else. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you just 
made an impact on their lives. And you know that you did that because like you said, you were kind of like the initiator of that. And hey, maybe some people in our class will go to law school one day and they'll be like, thank you, Dr. LaPointe. I appreciate all of your government classes. That would be awesome. (laughs) That would be pretty cool. And in addition to that, too, I guess just teaching overall, like you said, can be a challenge, but it is overall rewarding, especially in the end. Like you have us seniors in the mornings and at the end of the day, you know, we're going to graduate in very soon, actually, which is just scary to say, but it's going to be exciting, though, for sure. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things in life that comes around. Well, and and working with seniors is really magical because for a lot of you, I get to vicariously live through (laughs) um, the really exciting opportunities that are awaiting you. And I'm really enjoying getting to talk with lots of you guys about a lot of you have a lot of options and a lot of choices, um, and that's really fun. And, and getting to, to participate in your guys' journey is really, really rewarding, and, and that's why people go back to teaching. I mean, nobody goes back to teaching for the money. Um, <laughs> True. And, but I think people go back to it because that sharing those journeys is really special. I would have to agree with that. And we thank you for being a part of our journeys. (laughs) And so with that being said, it is time for another break. So let's go ahead and take that right now. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. They say you can't change the weather, but we already have. And if we've changed it for the worse, let's change it for the better. Tune in to The Climate Opportunity, a two-hour special hosted by Beth Green and Dr. Grant Dean. Expert guests Professor Scott Denning, Chef Laura Steck, video journalist Peter Sinclair, and Kelsey Wirth of Women Out Front will share how we can improve our lives while improving our weather. Listen on Inside Out Radio, Tuesday, November 11th, starting at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Presented by Inside Out Radio and Voice America. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey Investment Education and Asset Management firm and his team can help you contact jordan and the team at investview at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com if you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative call us past performance of investments are not indicative of future results investing is inherently risky all recommendations should be researched by the investor call investview at 732-380-7271 that's 732-380-7271 at 13 you are just starting to become a teenager and are ready to move on to the next phase of your years The squeals and screams are replaced by slightly less squeals and screams, and you're expected to act a little more grown up. Tune in to Life at 13 for the answers and support you need to get through this time in your life. Your hosts have some amazing life experiences, and because of this, they have the know-how to get you through ready for what's next. Life at 13, Monday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Kids channel. 
You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody. So time has flown by, as usual, per four segments. It just hasn't seemed like we've been talking for that long at all. Um, So Dr. LaPointe and I are going to talk now about some of our predictions for the election and just the election in general, because I feel like people don't get to talk about it enough. Or maybe at least on my show, I haven't talked about it enough. So now's the time to. Okay. (laughs) And so, Dr. LaPointe, how are you feeling about the election so far? So the election is wild this time. Yes. It is a spectacle, unlike any election I can remember in a long time. Um, there's always been, you know, people who create fireworks in elections. And, you know, when people run as a third-party candidate, it can create some, you know, wild, you know, results. But this time around, I think it's the variety of personalities. And it's it's almost like they're cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It's kind of fun for me because I'm a, a political nerd, so I enjoy that that's what they're talking about on late night TV and on Saturday Night Live and, and stuff like that. But I also um, – I'm also really excited because of how diverse the candidate pool is this time. And I think that that's leading the discussion in the direction of talking about things that we generally don't talk in depth about, about the cost of higher education in a meaningful way. Um, about dealing with illegal immigration, about, you know, these are issues where I think we are speaking with much greater complexity about them this time around. And I think that that's because the people at the table come from a a more worldly perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, all their backgrounds, too, because it kind of is very widespread. None of them are like the other necessarily, too. And it's great to see that they are having these personal connections to some of these issues. Like you said, immigration, like, for example, some of their spouses are, you know, immigrants or their parents were immigrants and they immigrated to America. And so it's nice to see that there's some type of connection there. There's even... um, Somebody in the Democratic race as well that has a military background, very strong military background at that. And then, of course, everybody kind of has their their hands in politics. So, Yeah, and I think, too, that having such a diverse pool of candidates, even if I, I think ultimately it will settle down when we as we approach the general election. Um, but having had this wide range of candidates has really led to, I think, a more interesting discussion about real stuff. Instead of just hearing everybody sort of squawk the same thing toward the center. And and that's exciting for me. Yeah, it's important to be productive with Mm -hmm. what we're talking about, too. Not just, you know, let me just talk about this to talk about it. We actually got to get work done here. And we're talking about the next president of the United States, too. So to the American people, that's pretty important, I would have to say. Yeah. For sure. And so I think it's kind of funny that you tell us in class, too, a little bit about how, you know, you call yourself a political nerd and you make bets about, you know, who is going to win the race in the end and all of that and kind of like your projections. But who kind of sticks out in your mind as far as like both Republicans and Democrats? Well, for me, you know, in the Republican race, which is just a circus fest, (laughs) I'm I'm totally enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... There are some really exciting and provocative things about having these outsider candidates, having Trump and Carson in the race. I think that they bring a different perspective. I think they have, they're not beholden to people. Um, it means they can say, I, I think, speak more truthfully from their heart on things. Um, I don't always agree with what 
comes out, but I do think that that does lead to healthy discussion. Um, I, I am deeply impressed by Marco Rubio. I have been for some time. Um, I do think that Latinos as a group are going to be the most important voting bloc in this uh, presidential election. I think particularly in a state like Arizona, I think if we had a race between um, Marco Rubio and Hillary Clinton, um, it will be a, a tightly contested race in a state where maybe people would not normally expect there to be a tight competition. I think it'll make our region of the country um, much more powerful um, because the Latino presence throughout the Southwest, um, you know, is, I think it's going to make a substantial difference in, in what happens. And so I would be, I'm, I'm certain that Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled about that because I've been waiting for that for a long time. <laughs> um, and, and I think she'd make a dynamite president of the United States. And I do think that, I, you know, I have a really hard time uh, deciding what horse I take in the Republican race. But, I mean, I certainly would select Marco Rubio if I was just basing on my personal beliefs. But, um, and I think that that's probably likely to happen. I think that Donald Trump and Ben Carson will sort of split the voting block of people who are attracted to their outsider, more radical approach, and that that will benefit uh, Mr. Rubio greatly. And so I, I anticipate it's going to be Clinton versus Rubio, and, uh, and I think she wins. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to see. I'm super excited. I think with those two candidates, that is what I put on my paper yesterday for as far as who I think will be the last two standing. I put Marco Rubio and Hillary Clinton. I will say that because they're just really great candidates. They're super qualified. And I think they would bring a great perspective to the table. So I'm happy with either one. But I can't wait to see what happens. I think it's always exciting, you know, watching the debates up to that point. And then, of course, when the general election comes, I actually get to vote in this general election. I'm super excited. It's be exciting. Yes. And I'm going to exercise my right to vote. And you should, make sure you take a picture of yourself mm -hmm. when you do it. You know, I cause, will. Because I took a picture the very first time I voted. I That's was living, so cool. <laughs> I was living overseas, so I had to send in my absentee ballot. But I took a picture of myself holding it to prove that I did it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. LaPointe, for coming on the show today. I had so much fun talking to you about politics and your life and just, you know, how exciting everything is. And so I do appreciate it. Hey, anytime, kiddo. Thanks. Well, with that being said, that's our show for today. So hope you guys enjoyed it. I will see you next time. Thank you again for listening to The Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Be sure to join Maddie Rose again next week for another great show. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.